Well, studies have shown continually that radio uh, is a medium that African-Americans respond to uh, in a stronger fashion, even more than television uh, or, or other mediums. Um, radio uh, sort of takes on the country uh, and the world uh, in the 1920s. And the interesting thing, uh, the thing that I did not know uh, into going into research writing soul on air is that African-Americans have been on radio uh, in this market and in other leading markets since the 1930s. Describe what you think the importance of this project is. We haven't done the best job in our metropolitan area of talking about the black experience. And whether it's in politics, whether it's in radio, it's important that these voices get lifted up. I think when Karen Mathis was here at general, as a general manager uh, many years ago, she did a great thing. Uh, there, there were generations of people that had no idea who Ernie Durham was. Uh, there are generations of people who had no idea who famous, famous coachmen or Gene Elsie or Jay Butler. Uh, uh, Jay Butler still with us, of course. They didn't know these people. And what I think this project, what's important about this project is it helps to lift up these great men and women, some of whom were real. They weren't just broadcast personalities. They were community leaders. Bristol Bryant, who was on radio in the 1950s, was actually actually got elected to the Michigan State Senate. Nobody was more powerful in the 1970s than Martha Jean Steinberg. Uh, the electrifying mojo commanded a salary, sold his own advertising, and really, um, really is thought to be one of the top 10 uh, most influential black DJs of, of all time. He sort of changed the game, went back to an old way of doing radio in terms of the business uh, model. What's important is that I, I believe, Jerome, that there are people uh, who are growing up in this metropolitan area who don't know of those voices and don't know of the touch-tone um, instances that happened on their watch. Martha Gajin, the Queen, helped to quell a city uh, that was under rebellion in July of 1967 by staying on radio and trying to calm people down. Martha Jean Steinberg did that. Um, you know, it, it can be instructive for future generations. I think that's why Soul on Air is important. And you mentioned Mojo. There is an interview that he did that people today yeah. are still talking about. Well, I tell you, uh, if you grew up in the 70s or 80s uh, and you listened to radio uh, in Detroit, you liked urban formatted radio, you knew of the electrifying mojo. He was, he's, he's a very aloof personality. Uh, Jerome, we've probably seen him around, but he could walk into a McDonald's and people not know uh, who he is. Well, in 1986... Uh, the recording artist Prince um, holds a concert at Cobo Hall. It is his birthday in June of 1986. It's Prince's birthday. Prince plays a, a, a fantastic set at Cobo, and at about midnight, he picks up the phone and he calls who? The electrifying Mojo. And Mojo is surprised by it. Um, and Mojo says, Hey, can I put you on air? I'm doing my show right now. Prince says, Sure. And, and the aloof uh, interviews the aloof. And uh, for about 20 minutes, um, the Detroit metropolitan area gets something that a lot of people around the world didn't get from Prince. And that is Prince talking in an interview. Uh, it is one of the more iconic uh, radio happenings, certainly of the last 30 or 40 or 50 years. It occurred in 1986 with Prince calling Mojo. You have a lot of research. You have a lot of anecdotes um, in this book. What's your favorite? 
one of the things that I really sort of really sort of consumed me is the battle between WCHB and WJLB in the 1960s and 70s. And as I pointed out, uh, John Lord Booth did a great job of, of, of picking off the talent at uh, WCHB for years. But there was one instance where uh, Dr. Bell turned the tables, and it's, uh, it's WDET's own Jay Butler. Jay Butler comes uh, to the metropolitan area from Jackson, Tennessee, where he had been on radio. Jay becomes one of the first African-Americans from the South uh, to be signed to a deal at WJLB here in Detroit. He gets to WJLB and barely gets on the air. Uh, He had been at JLB for two or three months, but by about two or three months into the gig, Dr. Haley Bell from WCHB begins to call Jay. He's calling Jay every week. Jay Butler, I understand you're the best thing since sliced bread. Don't you want to come work at WCHB? Jay says, and, you know, I got a, got a good gig. I got a good gig. You know, uh, John Laura Booth is paying me $300 a week. And uh, Dr. Bell says, son, that white man ain't paying you $300 a week. Jay Butler says, yes, sir, Dr. Bell, he sure is. Dr. Bell beats that price, signs Jay Butler, Jay Butler said that Dr. Bell told him after Jay agreed to make the move over to CHB, uh, Dr. Bell said to him, now, Jay, don't tell the other people on staff what you're making, son. I'm going to do this. So what Dr. Bell did was cut two checks for Jay Butler. Jay had to go pick up a check at, uh, at, at WCHB, 30 miles uh, uh, west in Inkster, and he had to pick up a second check. Uh, at WCHD, which at the, at the time was located on East Forest Street uh, in, the, in the Midtown area. Jay had to get two checks because he, Dr. Bell was concerned about the staff being disgruntled, that Jay was making a whopping probably three, uh, $301 <laughs> a week, uh, a, a, a salary that beat the $300 that uh, John Lord Booth was paying at WJLB. That's my favorite story. Do- uh, uh, Dr. Bell told Jay Butler, don't you want to be a big fish in a small pond? <laughs> and Jay Butler took the bait. <laughs>